I have really been enjoying uh, the opportunity to explore an absolutely beautiful cookbook called A Man and His Kitchen, classic home cooking and entertaining with style at the uh, William Brown Farm. And the author is Matt Haranik, and uh, he is uh, a well-known uh, lifestyle writer and photographer. W.M. Brown is the magazine, men's lifestyle magazine, that he founded and edits. He is the author of uh, A Man and His Watch, The Martini, and several other books, and has now given the world this really lovely book in which he, first of all, in the opening section, transports us to the amazing place where he and his family live at least most of the year, and, uh, and then shares some of the uh, wonderful recipes that spring out of the kitchen of, of their beautiful home. And uh, it's an absolutely lovely book, and I have enjoyed it so very, very much. It's published by Artisan, and I'm excited to speak with Matt Haranik about A Man and His Kitchen. Matt Haranik, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Uh, well, good morning. Thank you so much, Greg. I appreciate it. In the introduction to the book, you tell a really wonderful story about one of your favorite exploits when you were a youngster. Uh, uh, tell us what you would uh, often be uh, doing in terms of your uh, your own imagination and the world of cooking shows. Well, I, I grew up in upstate New York, and I had a very rich fantasy life, and uh Television was a great transporter for me and a great educator, at least at that period. And I was in love with cooking shows so much, uh, cooking shows like Jacques Pepin and uh, the Galloping Gourmet, that I used to pretend I had a cooking show in my kitchen. And we had a window, uh, like a picture window out to the backyard um, in the kitchen. And I would pretend that was my television audience while, while I was uh, quite vocally explaining how to make bologna sandwiches uh, to my mother's complete curiosity and dismay. She would say, um, you know, like she would say, I remember her would yell up from the basement and say, like, you know, Matthew, who are you talking to? And I would say, oh, my, my television audience. And she just would be like, okay. Like, that was totally normal. Um, but that is really who I was talking to. I was obsessed with food. Um, I grew up in Binghamton, with an aunt that had a very classic American diner with an Italian twist, and an uncle had a bar with the same variety. And I just um, kind of grew up with these amazing nurturers, uh, people that showed love through food, and they did a good job of it. <laughs> that they did. Uh, so I tell our listeners who don't have uh, your book in front of them and can't see some of these gorgeous photographs, Tell them about this really special place uh, where you and your family uh, live in upstate New York most of the year. Sure. The, that farm, that piece of land that we, my, my wife and I bought 20-some years ago was really an, um, uh, an escape from New York in the urban environment that, you know, we were kind of in these cramped spaces kind of forging our way in New York and uh, we both were looking for the escape, and William Brown Farm became that escape. Uh, two and a half hours from New York, very isolated in the middle of a in the middle of a forest and field, and we can, we we wanted to kind of build our escape and life there when we weren't in the city, and and that just evolved into uh, this wonderful lifestyle experiment that became the William Brown Project, which is a blog I wrote, and it was part of an old dairy farm called William Brown Farm, and they were 
the plots were kind of broken up for vacationers and hunting camps and stuff like that in upstate New York in the 50s and 60s. And we bought this big piece of land, lived in an airstream um, for a few summers, and then built this house that is there now that, you know, my whole my whole idea about that house was like to build a living space around a kitchen because we knew that's where everybody wants to end up. That's where everybody wants to entertain. Um, so and I didn't want to be isolated and lonely in the kitchen. So that's how that house was built, and that's how – we use it. We use it for entertaining. We use it for kind of decompression. And uh, the only activity up there anyone's required to do is think about what the next meal is. You tell us that this book is a collection of the meals that have sprung up from many, many conversations. Explain the nature of those conversations that have, in a sense, given rise to this beautiful book we're talking about today. Well, like I said, there's not much distraction up at that house but nature and, you know, nurture, really. And, you know, I, growing up, food was a big, big dialogue that was constantly around this big Italian family I was, you know, being raised by on my mother's side. And I think that translated into how we looked about what the next event was that day at the house. So at breakfast, we talked about lunch. And at lunch, we talked about cocktails and dinner and then at dinner, we talked about what we were going to have for breakfast. And that, you know, you know, cooking was always a kind of decompression and kind of a bit of therapy for me. It was conversations that we enjoyed. We all liked planning together. And they also talked about these ideas of food souvenirs. I was traveling a lot as a photographer and bringing back ideas and ingredients to share with people, my family and friends that weren't on that journey or trip with me. So there were, you know, there were subjects that we really enjoyed talking about that certainly weren't as heavy as politics. <laughs> mm-hmm. So ultimately, this book is a collection not only of some of your very, very favorite recipes, but also uh, a, a book in which you share some of your thoughts on on uh, your maybe your principles or your values. Uh, as a homeowner and as a home chef. And I really appreciated uh, one page in your book very early on with the headline, Everything Must Go, in which you begin with these intriguing words, I hate waste of all kinds, but I hate kitchen waste the most. Uh, Just give our our listeners uh, at least a, a rough sense of the length to which you go to see that Nothing is needlessly wasted in the kitchen. Um, I, I go through such length that I, if I'm working on a recipe and, you know, I've thrown something in the compost bin, like parsley stems or old celery, and I'm like, oh, wow, that would be so good for this recipe. I will go back into the compost bin and, like, rinse it off, <laughs> rinse off the coffee grounds and add it to the recipe. You know, I grew up with, you know, first-generation immigrant, you know, gra- I mean, my grandparents were immigrants from Italy and from Eastern Europe, and, you know, they were in America during the Depression, and I, I just kind of paid witness to how they, the economy of kitchen and how they use and reuse things, and, and you know, also being very isolated in this place in upstate New York, sometimes you, you forget something or you don't have it around, and you have to kind of repurpose things, and um, sometimes that's an end of an onion that you've just tossed into the compost bucket. But 
And I just, I, and also we have these recipes called like muscos, like at the end of the weekend or the week when all these bits of leftovers are in the, in the kitchen, like how do you repurpose those things from the refrigerator to make a kind of elegant, elegant meal that you kind of celebrate as a new dish, you know? And that, um, that comes from that philosophy of not wanting to throw things away and not want to waste things. Um, I think this stuff is too precious just to dispose of most of the time. So, uh, I appreciate also some thoughts that you share on what you think essential chicken, uh, kitchen equipment is and what thing, what, what the way people should sort of think about that, particularly people with limited means. Uh, I mean, what, what, what their priorities should be in terms of <laughs> with what sort of implements they should be armed, so to speak, uh, in order to really cook effectively and joyously in the kitchen? Well, I think kitchen equipment is uh, something that, you know, we're bombarded and have been for generations of like all these gadgets that you need to buy to make it easier, you know, to make life easier. I, I think when it comes right down to it, you need a great knife. You need a really good quality knife that stays sharp and, uh, you know, will last. I do think that's the worthwhile investment. I do think good pans, cast iron, stainless steel, um, what have you, are always really good investments to make. Sure, should it, would, it, would it be great if you had a food processor and a standing mixer? Great. But, you know, the crock pot, which, you know, the slow cooker, is one of, still one of the most inexpensive ki- kitchen gadgets that I just love that takes a lot of pressure off the kitchen and is just a joy to use. And I, I don't put a lot of emphasis on spending lots of money on gadgets, but there are some essentials, like I said, knife, pans, good spatula, you know, a good peeler, you know, stuff like that is worth spending money on. Um, all the rest is a little bit frivolous at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Explain to our listeners how this beautiful book from that point on, once you're uh, over kind of uh, some of the introductory remarks about what we were, have just been talking about, plus your thoughts on buying organic and so on. Once we are into the heart and soul of the book, these beautiful recipes, explain how you have laid this book out. I think it's a really intriguing and effective choice. Um, we kind of we, we kind of laid it we laid it out how we sort of eat through the day. You know, we have you know, we have mornings, afternoons, evenings, cocktail hours sort of tucked in there and sort of after dinner. And there's certain there's definitely a specific way we eat lunches up there, more kind of quick fire and maybe involve the grill more and not as involved with lots of tiers of, uh, you know, appetizers and things like that. And that was a very conscious effort to kind of think about how, how you go about your day and how you approach your, your menu prep. I mean, we really, we, like, like I said before, we really have to think about and talk about what we're going to have for lunch in the morning, because we may need to drive, I don't know, X amount of miles to get to the market to figure that out because things aren't conveniently close or we may want to go to the farmer's market and buy something special. And I think that to think like that in terms of your day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, mornings, afternoons, and evenings, is a good way to think about planning meals and food and being prepared for what's next. I like that. Um, 
I appreciated, among other things, being a burger lover, uh, a page where ahead of some specific burger recipes, you just offer some general thoughts about burgers and what you think makes an especially great burger. Would you mind just highlighting a couple of excerpts from that? Sure. I mean, burgers are really, they're really like pizza or, I mean, they're a polarizing thing. Like every, most people who eat hamburgers have this amazing, very strong opinion about how they like their burger, you know, smash burger on the grill in the pan, you know. My philosophy about the burger is, I, I mean, I love, obviously, I, I love them in the barbecue first and foremost. Uh, I, I like them a little bit thicker than a smash uh, smash patty. Um, I often eat them without a bun and kind of treat it like the French do with the like, kind of idea of a steak cachet or, you know, I love an open face burger. I just think that because basically the burger becomes a carrier for, you know, lettuce, onion, special sauce and all that stuff. Um, but I make my burgers with 80%, it's like 80, 20, 80%, you know, beef. I try to use organic or grass fed beef to 20% fat and, um, a little bit on the, you know, on the thicker side of things. And, you know, and like I said, if this book is designed to, to put your own impression and, uh, and make things the way you want it, it's just, this is like a launch pad for how you want to create your own dialogue in the kitchen and with your food. And I'm not very strict about that, but that's how I do it. And that's how I like it. Right. And I like the way that's laid out. I'm excited to try to make your lamb burgers. That looks so wonderful. And on that same page, you have a recipe for mashed sweet potatoes and carrots that looks really, really good. Do you have time for one more question? Absolutely. Uh, it's really interesting how a lot of what is in this book we would think of as maybe more uh, contemporary recipes or a contemporary take on classics, but one of the recipes right here is mom's meatballs. And I know that early in the book you lament the fact that you don't have all of the recipes of things that you remember and um, have cherished memories of, of eating and enjoying during your childhood, but you do have your mom's meatball recipe, and it looks like it's something special. My mom's meatballs are a hit, and you know, if I look through the the course of my life of growing up in that kitchen, the, the meatballs have always been, you know, just something we always look forward to. And when we go visit my mom now with my daughter and my wife, there will always, if, over the course of the visit, there will always be those meatballs. And recently, when I had a book event out in Beverly Hills at this fantastic place called Dante, they wanted to do some recipes out of the book to serve and the chef came up to me and said, we, you know, we did your mom's meatballs. And I said, oh, my gosh, that's the stress of that. Okay, um, can I taste one? And he said, well, you know, they're cold. And I said, that's fine. That's the way we first would steal them out of the kitchen fridge. Like my mom would fry them, or you know, the day before, the early in the day, and then put them in the fridge. And that, to me, was like the best barometer. And I, he brought out a cold meatball. And I ate it, and I it just immediately transported me. And I said, "Oh my gosh! Like those are that's my mom's meatball," and that to me was I made me so happy because the recipe really does work. It evokes all the emotion of me eating those meatballs growing up, and it's a very kind of Italian American standard. And a lot of people have their very very strong opinions about that. But for me, my mom's meatballs are the best, and that is a very good recipe in there. 
Right. Well, I, uh, I'm very much taken by all kinds of things in this wonderful book, and it's just beautiful to look at. But uh, also, I think it will be very exciting uh, for home chefs to explore. The book, again, is A Man and His Kitchen, Classic Home Cooking and Entertaining with Style at the William Brown Farm, published by Artisan and uh, the author, Matt Haranik. Matt Haranik, thank you so much uh, for this beautiful book and for joining me today on The Morning Show to talk about it. Best wishes and happy cooking. Thank you so much.